Welcome to the Hacking Happy Podcast, a podcast designed to arm you with the tools and experiments that enable you to define happiness on your terms and inject more of it into each day. I'm your host, Penny Lacasso. I'm the world's first happiness hacker, and I have a bold mission, a mission to teach 10 million humans how to realize happiness on their terms by 2025. So if you're ready to ignite your self-belief and inject more of what makes you feel good into each day, let's get started. Hello, Melissa, and welcome to not only the Hacking Happy podcast, but the Brave Feminine Leadership podcast as well. It's a pleasure to be here with you on both of them. (laughs) (laughs) So that sounds a bit obscure, but allow me for our listeners to explain how we arrived at this point. So a little while back, I had listened to a number of your amazing podcasts, and I was extremely curious about the fact that you hadn't actually shared your beautiful story on your own podcast. And I equally thought it's such a great story of transformation which we speak about so much on the Hacking Happy podcast. Let's get together and let's create the space for you to talk about your story. Tell us first and foremost, who are you as a human being? I love this question, Penny. I may have picked this question up from you uh, on the odd conversation I have now. So who am I as a human being? I always say I'm a brilliant work in progress. Mm. I am a brave feminine leader. I'm an incredible wife. You just have to ask my husband to work that one out. (laughs) I'm a a mother to two teenagers, a beautiful daughter and son, and they equally challenge and inspire me on a daily basis. I'm a bit of a dag. I often have a laugh at myself. I love nothing more than a good laugh at myself. And at heart, Penny, I'd say I'm a learner. I just, I love learning. So, and I love playing to my strengths and I've spent a bit of time working out what they are. So paint a picture because your life has changed a lot in the last few years. It has almost like I don't know how many reinventions you've had but I always sort of say I'm on 3.0 at the moment (laughs) (laughs) I I think I might be on 3.0 too I'm not sure um shall I take you through yeah so paint a picture for us of first and foremost what your life looked like before your big transformation so I had an incredible job. I was CEO of a pretty large company. So I had about 5,000 people across Australia and the US and the Philippines. And I loved that role. And I'm really comfortable to say I was really good at it. You know, I'd build a fabulous culture. We had people that genuinely felt like they were sort of belonged and they were part of a family. Excellent long-term client relationships, and we delivered some really good outcomes for our shareholders. So I was in a role that I loved. I'd been in that role for about eight years. And as I reflect back now, I think my transformation started then, and it probably started because our owners, after a very long time owning the company, had decided to explore selling the company. And whilst I was well prepared for that, you know, as a CEO, that you know, it could be one of the things that you do um, when you're working with a privately owned company. I also knew as CEO that it was probably likely that I wouldn't have a role at the end of that. And it was the first time I had to kind of confront that. But anyway, away we went. Sales process, we went through a couple and they weren't successful. Ultimately, they, they have been subsequently, but they weren't at the time. And I think if I'm really honest with myself, I'd started to think about what's next, but I hadn't done anything about it and then I got a surprise at the end of December 2017 so it's a while ago now and that was that I I found a lump under my armpit 
and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that's not really the story of transformation. That just provided the starting point. And that gave me the opportunity, Penny, to really pause, I think, for the first time in my career and actually think to think actively about what I wanted to do next. So I threw myself, as is my nature, I threw myself into the next thing. And I kind of thought, well, you've been a CEO. What does a CEO do next? Well, they go and become a company director. So I <laughs> headed off down that path. I can't tell you how many times people like in your position have told me exactly that. It's like, oh, I'll just go and be a director and sit on board. That's, That's right. So, and it gave me a framework and I needed that framework to kind of point myself at something, I think. And I also started doing some executive mentoring, which was something I loved that kind of anchored me. But I also was really fortunate. I got offered a lot of consulting opportunities. And I threw myself at those consulting opportunities. And if I look at it in retrospect, I did it from a place of fear. And I did it from a place of, I better say yes, because if I don't, no one will ever ask me to do anything again. So that took me to the end of 2019, that kind of journey. You know, an hour for an hour, an hour, a lot more than an hour, a year focused on the sort of cancer recovery, and then a year sort of establishing myself into the board space and a few other things. And I got to the end of that year and I was probably as flat as I think I've ever been. That's really where the transformation started because I'd been so busy running from this place of fear, trying to work out what was next, that I didn't really know what I didn't feel satisfied. I didn't feel fulfilled with the mix of things that I was doing. I hadn't landed on what that next thing was. So that was really where the transformation started. I love that. And it's the second time in two days I've heard someone talk about how they've distracted themselves from the fear of living the life that they long for. Yes. Which is almost like an oxymoron, right? Yes. So logical. And that's what I'd done. I had completely done that. And I just had this incredible timing next, really, in that, you know, end of 19, start of 2020, I made a decision to stop. I'd just been accepted onto a new board. That was exciting. And, and I thought, stop filling up with all these other things. Just pause. So take a pause for three months was what I had said. And don't take on anything new. And, you know, with incredible timing, the pandemic arrived. And so it just afforded me this incredible time. And I feel privileged to have been able to do it, to be honest with you. But it just really gave me this time to pause and to start exploring what the next direction might be for me. So can we just dig a little bit deeper? Because I think it's really helpful for those people that are on the precipice of wanting to change. And they've been sitting, I mean, my research shows that most people, like you said, the journey of stepping into this happens three years before they take action Absolutely. on average, right, which is really interesting. So I just want to step into that moment where you said, you know, you'd done this consulting work, you had this fear of not saying yes to it, but it was holding you back from actually stepping into what you wanted to do. Tell me how, and you also said, you know, obviously you just were flat. It, it wasn't feeling right. Yeah. What was the voice in your head saying? So you know, what was going on? What was the narrative in your head at that time? Because you're kind of sitting at this space between two things. I didn't know what was next. You know, I think there was a pressure on myself because I've always been a very good problem solver. There was a pressure on myself to have the answer. Surely I know what I'm passionate about. 
surely I can work this out because I'd always work stuff out. So that was, that was what the voice was saying at the time. But there was just this big gap of not knowing. And there was only one place, and it was interesting for me, and I think you and I kind of connected a bit over this uh, when we first met, there was only one place that gave me a bit of stillness because the way I would describe the feeling, so for anyone who's in this sort of space, the feeling I had was I just didn't ever feel relaxed. You know, I just felt a bit uptight. You know, like I could sort of feel the energy sort of moving through my body, but I didn't feel relaxed, didn't feel comfortable. And actually it was on the yoga mat. I've been someone who dabbled with yoga over time, but not someone who really did it consistently. And so over that summer, early 2020, I turned up every day to a yoga class, an outdoor yoga class. And it was the only time that I felt just relaxed, I think. And so there was something pulling me in that particular direction. And that was where I started, Penny. I started working with a wonderful lady, Baxter, who helps coach people through yoga and through some mindset kind of work. She helps people, I think, just just settle and pause. That decision to invest in myself at that point in time was a great gift and it catapulted me into a whole range of other things since that point where I just kept exploring and kept experimenting. So was there a moment, I'm always interested in this, where you said, that's it, I've got to change. I've got to let go of all this consulting work and I've got to step into the fear. Like, was there a moment or was it kind of more a series? Like, a, I always say for me, it was like a light bulb, a dimmer getting turned up gradually. It wasn't like it just got turned on. There was a lot going on for me at that point in time. Like my mother, who unfortunately I've since lost, my mother was very unwell at that point in time too. So there was lots of different things going on. And I actually think the moment that I really thought I need to do something was the moment I first voiced to someone that I didn't feel that everything was 100% okay. And it was my mother-in-law and my mother-in-law had gone through bowel cancer and she's also well and healthy now. And she just said with me one day over that summer, she said, isn't it wonderful, you know, we're the other side of this, I don't like using the word journey, but we're the other side of our treatment and all these sorts of things you know, isn't it wonderful to just have this different perspective on life and stuff like that? And I kind of bravely said to her, I'm not sure I do yet. Um, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I'm i not sure that I've kind of settled into that space yet. And I think it was verbalising to someone else that I hadn't quite reached what I should be doing and I knew there was more. And we didn't get a long time to chat. It was very almost a quick sort of passing conversation and she kind of almost chased me a month after that and sat down and said tell me more what are you talking about but it was voicing that in the first instance and then it was on the yoga mat you know just literally as simple as sitting on a yoga mat and I went this feels like a good starting point because this feels new and different and comfortable and so off I went on this big journey since then oh as a fellow yogi captured my heart saying it started on the yoga mat so you got on the yoga mat what was the first sort of real action that you took to step into what was next because one of the things that comes up so consistently is with my clients they constantly say they haven't taken any action because they feel so overwhelmed with the amount of things they'd need to do to make a change that it paralyzes them and I just say the action you take is irrelevant. You know, the most important thing is that you do act. 
because the action will breed the clarity. Yeah, really interesting. What was your action? It was a series of things. And the first one was that decision to invest in myself by doing that program with Baxter Mm -hmm. at that point in time. So that was the first thing. And that just started off a whole series of investing in myself. I would have said at the start of that journey, at the start of 2020, and I know because someone asked me the question, they said, are you creative? And my instinctive response was, no, I'm not. I'm not creative. I'm good at lots of things, but I'm not creative. And as I went through the year, so, you know, with Baxter and I connected with a series of wonderful coaches. One was actually someone I went to school with for a long time, Edwina Murphy-Drumer. And Edwina had, she'd done interview series in a completely different space than I ended up doing it. She'd done them in the space of mothers with teenage daughters and a whole range of things. And I'd watched her doing them and I'd equally admired her And at the same time thinking, oh my goodness, what's she doing showing up in this sort of arena and this sort of stuff? So it was interesting. There was a little bit of judgment and a little bit of admiration mixed in the two, which was important for me later. Anyway, I was watching one of her series at one point and I just thought there is nothing like this for executive women. There's nothing where we're going out and speaking to a whole range of executives and just asking them a couple of different questions, questions I was curious about and and what Brave Feminine Leadership is all about. And so I just said to her, would you be okay if I kind of copied this format but applied it in a different series? And she was so generous. She's just like, let me show you how. And then I guess, Penny, the decision was I'm going to do this now. I then had to take some steps that, just like you're saying, I could have got paralysed with the the big sort of whole end picture. Instead, it was, well, what's the first step you do? You ask people if they're happy to be interviewed. So start there. And that that was sort of the creation, if you like, of Brave Feminine Leadership as it has continued to transform from there. But I had to get over, I think, the two things that I said, you know, the one thing that, you know, when I looked at Edwina, this sort of judgment thing was a fear for me around what would people think of me showing up in a different place? How would they judge me? And I had to work hard to get over that. And in the end, it was like, just take one deep, big breath, jump in. And I've actually never looked back from doing that. But that was the biggest thing I had to overcome at that point in time. It's so interesting, isn't it, that we, I completely can resonate with what you've just said, because when I left Shell and started doing all the crazy stuff, like in terms of people's perceptions, like I'd gone from a corporate executive to a happiness hacker. Like that was just so extreme. Yes. And that that inner voice is just like, what makes you think that you can pull this off? You're crazy. And thinking, oh, my God, people are watching me. And what are they thinking? Yes. We have this innate, it's part of who we are, like this, you know, innateness. We want to belong. And yes. therefore, in order to belong, you know, we're wired to care what others think. And there's plenty of people in the professional world that even, you know, for me, when I left that world, and I mean, I'm in it now in a different way, yeah. you still respect their opinions. Just because you left, it doesn't mean you don't respect them. And it's a really hard thing to let go of. Absolutely. But I feel like, Penny, having done this and taken this step, and it goes back to a point you raised earlier, I've ended up basically creating the perfect job for me. You know, like I still have got the wonderful enjoyment of boards, which, you know, affords me sort of, you know, an aspect of what I love. I do a lot of executive mentoring and that's growing. And then coming out of these interview series, I now get to do these sort of group masterminds where I work with incredible people who are, I wouldn't say necessarily yearning for a transformation or anything like that, but they're at a point in their career where they're ready to be intentional. 
about the next step in it and take a step up and you know the chance to work with some of the amazing women that I've had to work with through that now um, that's the stuff that lights me up and it's the stuff that plays to my strengths the best and by the nature of stepping into that new space you become inspiration and it's interesting right because I, I you never set out to be inspirational it's kind of it's not the motivator but it becomes this byproduct of you then pave this path for making it okay for others to go I could do that mm. you know why couldn't I do that I've never considered it and I mean that's brave for feminine leadership because there's so many women you know that don't back themselves all the, the amazing skills that they have absolutely and it's true what they say right self-efficacy theory from a psychological perspective the way you get better at new things or start trying new things is through vicarious experiences if you can't see it you can't be it it's it's true so tell me what role experimentation played in your journey so so much <laughs> and i think really important i mean if you're going to if you're going to do what you and i have done which is a you know a 180 almost from the careers that we had previously and a lot of the people I work with don't want to do that they're in a space of stepping up or something like that but if you want to do a 180 like we've done and for me you're not clear about what you're going towards experimentation is the only way there you know <laughs> it, it, it just just I've just got to try this and see how this feels and how this resonates and then I'll try this next thing and it's been fascinating for me because when I was a CEO, I had a strategic plan. I had a vision, I had a plan, and off we went, right? So when I've gone on this journey, it's been so interesting because it's been far more organic. I literally started doing this because I was deeply curious. I had time on my hands. I had a good network, and I thought this might be helpful for people. And I've been open every step of the way to what that next opportunity might be, you know, and that happened to be people saying, how can we connect and how can we work with you? And I think just being open, not having a prescribed kind of end game or anything attached to what I'm doing has just has been new, completely different to the way that I would normally have approached stuff. But I don't know, I just, it feels like experimentation is, is the only way to do it. Just try something, try something new, try something different. Mm. So you mentioned earlier investing in yourself. And again, so many people that reach out to me, so many women that reach out to me really struggle with investing in themselves, especially financially, because they feel like it comes at the compromise of you know, their children, their family, all of those things. And yet my experience, like you, you know, is that the more I invest in myself, the better parent I become the better partner I become, the better human I am, you know, the more I contribute and impact the world in a way that's meaningful. You've mentioned you've invested in coaches and things like that. How did you come to realise that you needed to invest in yourself, especially coming from a background in the corporate world where often our expectation is that the company will invest in us? Like we're so used to other people paying for our development. Actually investing our own money is a very big step. I mean, Penny, for me, I think that was a couple of things coming together. Firstly, I mean, I took a deep breath when I realised that you hear a dollar figure and you take a deep breath and you're like, oh, can I, should I or whatever. But for me, I think it was one of the important steps in my transformation 
because I really think like a lot of leaders that I work with, we grow up with a bit of this belief about we should be able to fix things ourselves. We should better do it yourselves. And I think getting over that asking for help is one of the first kind of hurdles or realising that so I don't have to do this on my own. There are people out there who can help me. It's okay to acknowledge that I need some help. And if I choose to invest in myself, ultimately for me, the work I'm doing with people is around leadership. You know, it's the area I feel most comfortable and passionate about is leadership. And the most important skill for any leader is self-awareness. And so whatever you can do to escalate your self-awareness, I think is going to make you a better leader. And for the people I'm working with, that shortcuts the path for them. Mm. Ultimately, if what they're seeking is a bigger, broader role, and some people are, you know, with more financial rewards, I think the payback comes very quickly. But also, it's about how you show up in every area of your life. So, you know, I think... You just have to learn to ask for help. And then it's a decision that investing in yourself is actually going to have a payback that's far beyond just you. And I don't know about you. I mean, I've had many coaches since I left the corporate world. Yeah. And for different things, right? I always feel, I feel like coaches are a bit, you know, for, for me it's been seasonal. They've all been yes. fabulous, but I've needed different people at different times. Yes. But never, ever have I regretted any of the investments I've made in getting someone else's help. I don't think I would, particularly because I've now moved into more of an entrepreneurial space than sitting within a broad corporate network. I don't think I would operate without a coach mm. now. You know, it's a sounding board. It's like your own advisory board to help you, to keep you accountable, to bounce ideas off. Yeah. So for me, it's been a bit of a game changer. So two more questions. Yes. What advice would you have for people listening who are seeking to undertake a transformation the way you did? I think the greatest thing, and there's a bit of a luxury in this, so, you know, as I say this, it might be hard for people to achieve, but I say that the most important thing is to slow down the noise mm. enough in terms of what's going on in your life because actually you do have the answers. Even if you work with someone to help you pull the answers out, you've got the answers and I think my experience as an executive and with the executives I work with, we're so used to being in our heads all the time. Slow down, reconnect with kind of who you are as a person, reconnect with your gut. You know, what's your gut telling you about whether you should step forward to something or step back from something? And I don't mean that from a fear point of view. So you want to, if there's fear there, that's okay. That's a different thing. But even if there's fear, sometimes your gut will still be saying, this feels right. This feels right. I should move in this direction. Mm -hmm. I would encourage people to listen to it, but you've got to get rid of the noise and you've got to find a way to sort of get rid of that noise first. I could not agree with you more. Mm -hmm. And my last question is your question, and I'm dying to hear your answer. What does brave feminine leadership mean to you? And do you think it needs to change? So for anyone who's not familiar with the Brave Feminine Leadership podcast, I think I'm up to about 75 interviews and I ask everyone this question. Mm. And for me, it's like doing a mini MBA and I soak up their responses and some of them change me and some of them resonate with me and so having someone say, what do you mean, was interesting to think about. I break the words down mm -hmm. and the first word I look at is leadership. And for me, leadership is an enormous privilege. And with that privilege, you know, with leadership comes power. A lot of women I work with run away from the words ambition and power. And I want to reclaim them because power is a good thing. It's power to do something. 
it's not power over people it's power to do something and you know as i said before it's easy for leaders to get sucked into a space of ego whereas for me it's a privilege you know self-awareness is key and so my question to leaders is what's your legacy so that's the sort of anchor point of it brave comes very much back to what you said earlier people don't move because they come up with all sorts of excuses about i'm not ready so when i'm confident when i've done my mba when i've when i've when i've is always what they focus on and for me i chose brave deliberately because courage comes you know before confidence mm. and sometimes you've just got to take that first brave step one go and ask your manager for what you really want is it a pay increase is it a position you're looking for like what is it just one brave step and then feminine was never designed to be female you know for me when i use the term feminine i'm thinking about a leadership quality and there's some wonderful male leaders with a lot of strong feminine qualities but i'm thinking about empathy and compassion and listening and standing shoulder to shoulder and caring and moving away from a leadership style that's never resonated with me but that sort of command and control leadership space into one that creates spaces where people feel like they belong so for me a brave feminine leader is one who steps up with a clear why behind why they want to lead people and you know they use that leadership to leave a legacy that has an enormous impact on something that is much bigger than them that's what it means to me what a beautiful way to end. Can you just tell our listeners, for those listening on Hacking Happy, where they can find your series, your beautiful series, and more about you? So the best way to do that would be to head to my website, which is www.bravefeminineleadership.com, and you can find the podcast on Apple or Spotify or any of those good places you choose to download them and just look under Brave Feminine Leadership. And I'd love to connect with people. So they could hunt me down on LinkedIn too if they felt like it. I love connecting and meeting new people. Kenny, thank you for having me and, you know, inviting me to share parts of my story. Oh, it's just been beautiful to hear it. So thank you for sharing so authentically. Have a beautiful rest of the day, Mel. You too. And as I said at the start, one of the things that gave me the biggest laugh in our conversation was that we're both here in Ugg Boots on a very, very cold <laughs> Melbourne day. <laughs> so if no we circle whatsoever. <laughs> no shame. And if we circle back around to my opening comment about being a DAG, that should underline it for you. So Well, DAGs, I always call myself a bogan. <laughs> Born in the country. It stayed with me. And I'm proud of my bogan roots and my Ugg boots are just a fundamental part of that. <laughs> Thank you to you and the Hacking Happy crew. Lovely to be part of the conversation. Thanks, Mel. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Hacking Happy podcast. If there was something that ignited a flame or sparked a thought within you from this conversation, please take a screenshot and share it on your preferred social media platform. Feel free to tag me in Hacking Happy Co or Penny Lacalso. Reviews are so important to reaching my goal of making 10 million beautiful humans just like yourself happier. So if you enjoyed your listen, please take a moment, leave a review and a rating on your preferred podcast listening platform. Until the next episode, remember, happiness looks good on you. Bye for now.